When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Late Show Poncho with Stephen Colbert. My first guest tonight is the master American troubadour of my lifetime, ladies and gentlemen, Bruce Springsteen. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. It's an honor to have you. My pleasure. You recognize that song that they were just playing there? You're going to have to tell me. <laughs> that was... Diddly. You can't, you can't judge, judge a book, book by its look. Get out! Yeah. <laughs> Which is on the companion album to your book. The album is called Chapter and Verse. There you go. 50 years of... <laughs> 50 years of music on here from you. Yeah. That song, too? 50 years of loss of hearing for me, also. Yes. <laughs> uh, so you can't judge a book by the cover. How old were you when you recorded that? Well, that was recorded in a little club called The Left Foot in Freehold, New Jersey. Whoa! <laughs> You've never been there. All right. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I, was, uh, I was 16. 16. Wow. So. Well, uh, <laughs> If you can't judge a book by its cover, let's talk about the cover of this book right here. <laughs> there it is. Your new memoir, Born to Run. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's judge this book by its cover. Can you tell me about this guy on the cover of this book? How old are you there? Uh, I'm 27. You're 27. 27. What would you... What do you think this guy at 27 would say if you saw this guy at 67? Okay, where'd my car go? Uh, <laughs> who's the old man in the suit jacket? <laughs> and uh, what did he do with my hair? <laughs> I'd say. <laughs> you know? So, why'd you write a book? You've been writing for years. You know, it's an autobiography, but your songs, unless I'm wrong, are autobiographical. Uh, they seem that way. Yeah, <laughs> they seem that way. Have you, have you been lying to us in these songs all these years, Bruce? Well, that's what artists do. They lie in service of the truth. So, really? <laughs> of course. Is that what you tell the judge? <laughs> so what were you able to do in a book that you couldn't do in the songs? Well, the book is very different. You know, you have a... You have to... You still have to find rhythm, and you have to find music in the prose that you're writing. But you got, there's a lot more space to delve into deeper details. And also, uh, an autobiography, people know, is immediately about your life. Where the songs, there's always a question. You know, are you the guy in racing in the street? Are you the guy in growing up? Some of my songs, I am the guy in them. Other, others were just completely imagined. So the book, people know, is it's, it's, it's directly from your experience. You know? Well, it's, um, it's like your music in that it's, um, it's beautiful, uh, incredibly moving. Oh. Every, practically every paragraph that I've read in this has been like poetry. Whoa. Um, uh, no, but also, but no. Let's but go there. But it's also, but it's also like listening to you talk at the same time. 
Um, how, how long did it take you to find the voice of this book? What was the process of writing this book like for you? We, uh, it started when we, we played the Super Bowl, which is, even if you've been at it a long time, it's, it's a little bit of a hairy, hairy evening, you know? So yeah. You might slide on your knees and grind your groin into a camera <laughs> in the middle of it, like I seem to remember you doing. <laughs> That's true. That's just one of the many things that could happen. <laughs> and... Uh, but after it, you know, it, was, it ended up being quite an experience, so I wrote a little essay to put on our website. And I kind of liked the voice that I found in, in the essay. It felt, you know, it felt like me. So uh, we were in Florida for a while after the Super Bowl, and I sat around. Uh, and I said, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll throw some memories down from when I started. So I just started from the beginning. And I spent about uh, two or three weeks writing. And uh, initially I thought, well, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Maybe it'll just be for the kids to read or something when they get older. And then I wrote a little bit more, and I wrote a little bit more, and I'd put it away sometimes for a year or uh, uh, even longer when we toured. And I'd come back to it, and i go, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. You know, maybe I'll keep going, you know? <laughs> so uh, eventually it got to the point where I knew I, I, I was in the process of writing a book. And, and, uh, but I, I really kind of wrote it somewhat casually over seven years. So this is seven years of your life, Representative Rice. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> Two years if you compact it all in one space. <laughs> well, one of the things that you say in here is, um, well, th this theater actually appears in the book. This, the Ed Sullivan Theater. Incredible. And um, because you had a turning point in your life. You awoke to something beautiful, you say, right. when you saw this. Jimmy? You ain't nothing <laughs> <laughs> How old were you when you saw Elvis Presley play here at the Ed Sullivan Theater? It still looks great. Yeah. Uh, That's 50 years ago this month. That performance is 50 really? years ago this month. That yeah. makes sense. I'm, really, yeah. I'm 67. Mm -hmm. So that was, I was six, seven years old. So what, what did you think when you saw it? It's amazing because I was actually that young, but it, it had a tremendous impact. I'm curious as to where, where he stood here. Um, don't know, I, do I don't know where he stood, but <laughs> I've been told that the, the pictures of the Screaming Girls for both Elvis and the Beatles were up there in that corner right really? over there. <laughs> Can we get some of that for me? You know? <laughs> so, so, what do you... I love it. <laughs> that's, I got a question for you. That's, uh, is that's that, why I got here. Exactly. <laughs> that's why I'm That would here. make a good ringtone. <laughs> so what did you think when you saw it? You said, like, it changed your life when you saw that. Uh, at seven, I, I, I don't know how much of a life I had to change, but whatever I had, you know, whatever I had, it struck me right away, and I ran down. I got my mother to run down to the store the next week, and we rented a, a guitar. And uh, I, I took a swing at playing, playing it for about a month, and I, I gave up. My hands were too small, and and, and they didn't really know how to. They didn't know how to teach in those days. They, you know, there was there wasn't anybody teaching you twist and shout or, or hound dog. You know, it was it was very methodical. So I got bored rather quickly and put it away till I was 14, when the Beatles stood on the stage, and it happened to me again. So I got struck twice by lightning. Was it, was it just the music, or was it, was it the Screaming Girls part of it as well, too? Because that's, no, just, just the music? No, no, obviously. 
You know, you're, well, at seven, I'm not sure, but at 14, it certainly was, okay, there's these four guys. <laughs> there's all these women. How do I get into that business, you know? <laughs> so. Well, I want to talk about how you got into the business, and we'll do that when we come right back all right. with more Bruce Lee. Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney, the voice of Korra on The Legend of Korra. And me, Dante Bosco, the voice of Zuko on The Last Airbender and General Iroh on The Legend of Korra. Each week we'll recap and discuss another episode of The Last Airbender. I don't know if we've ever talked about it, but... Amazing guests stop by from creators to cast to super fans to chat all things Avatarverse. Are we saying that this is possible in the Avatar universe? Varney, we gotta spread the word. Now fans can also check out our weekly video pods too by subscribing to the official Avatar YouTube channel. That's a lot of fire, isn't it? That's right, we're on video this season, everybody. So whether you're a super fan with encyclopedic knowledge or you're brand new to this incredible world, it's Fire Nation time, Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Brave the Elements wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Late Show. We're here with Bruce Springsteen talking about his uh, book, Born to Run. Um, now, uh, Bruce, before I you know, started getting ready for this interview and, and read the book, I didn't actually know that uh, you were raised a Catholic. I don't know why I didn't know that, but I didn't know it. Um, oh, yeah. Is, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you say in here that that's where you heard uh, the music for the first time. That's where I heard... I'm not sure what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, this is where I found the beginnings of my song, you said. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, where you yeah. found the beginnings of my song. <laughs> All right? It's a good book. You should read it. It's really... <laughs> I mean... I, I don't know about you, but I cried when I read it. It's really a beautiful book. So you said it's where you found the beginnings of your song. What, what do you mean? Where is the Catholic in your work? Oh, it's not overt. It, it, it's pretty overt. <laughs> you know, runs, r nuns run bald through Vatican halls, pregnant, pleading, immaculate conception. Uh, it's, a, it's a little overheated, that line, but... It, but, <laughs> but <laughs> But you get the idea of where I was coming from. Mm -hmm. But no, it, it just informed my language. What happened is you, every day you're in school, first class is religion, of course. And Were you after, a good student of religion? Uh, no. I was... <laughs> uh, it, it all scared me, to be honest with you. But, uh, but The nuns and the priests or like the vision of hell? Like what, what, what scared you yeah, about I mean, it? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're six and, you know, the vision of hell was hellacious, you know? <laughs> So, uh, uh, and of course, you're taking everything incredibly literally at that, at that, at that age. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything is absolutely as real as the desk you're sitting in. So, so it, was, it was a lot to deal with. But, uh, but, the, but at the end of the day, a lot of the language found its way into my music. And I always say that my music is the verses are the blues, the chorus is the gospel. If you look at the way my songs are built, the verses are always the blues. And then when you get to the chorus, Hopefully, you get a little the kind of transcendence that that uh, I I I got out of gospel music, you know. And 
those two things at the core of how I write, but also the language, the ideas, a lot of it came out of a Catholic education. Uh, Were I write, you an altar I boy? <laughs> I, was the, I was the worst altar boy on planet Earth. <laughs> and I wanted to become an altar boy because you got out of some school to go rehearse. Oh, you got out of school to go? got to... out of school, oh, wow. like a little bit every week so you could go rehearse. And my mother wanted to be, me to be an altar boy, so... Well, you're also on stage as an altar boy. Was that your first... Do you think of that as being on stage when yeah. you look back at it? Yeah, I was the only altar boy to be knocked down on stage <laughs> by, by the 81-year-old the Monsignor who was serving the Mass at the time. What did you, what did you do? Well, Bruce? first of all, Mass then was all in Latin. Dominus Fabiscum. Mm. Suscipiat Dominus Sacrificium. Sure, yeah, I mean, <laughs> so, so, the fellow altar boy here. So, <laughs> so uh, uh, you had to learn the entire Mass in Latin. So I, I, I think I had a prayer or two down, but I never really learned anything. And, and I actually never learned positioning on the altar. I mean, I was, I was a real disaster. And... Uh, so, and you also, you get, you get stuck with the earliest detail. So you're there at, you're 4.30 a.m. for the, so, you know, you're running down the streets, pitch black night, you got your, you got your cassock behind you. I'm terrified because I know I don't know an effing thing about what I'm about to do. <laughs> <laughs> I go in, I get the cassock on, I say, I tell the guy next to me, I said, look, I, I, I just don't know. I don't have, you know. He says, well, look, go out and light the candles. So I said, all right. So I get the can I can't light the candles. I, I, I can't even get them lit. Then uh, the mass starts, and now, of course, my mother, her two sisters, entire Italian and Irish family are there to see me make my debut. And along with all the, the nuns, because they go to early mass before they go teach school. And one thing leads to another, and I get hauled by my cassock face down onto the altar. To a, in the a, middle of mass? Yeah, in the middle of mass. <laughs> <laughs> to an, an audible gasp from the nuns, my relatives, <laughs> who are like, they're, they're done now. It's like, you know, <laughs> they're, they're finished, you know. So that was, uh, I don't think I served another mass. I think that was it. <laughs> <laughs> but you yeah. were a professional. I heard you went for. I did 10 11 or years. 11 I did 11 years. years. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's pretty impressive. Never got it right, though. 11 years in, never that's got it right. Impressive. So, at the beginning of the book, at the end of the book, you talk about something called the magic trick. What do you mean by the magic trick? And, and, you know, and to make this a longer question, uh, people ask me if I'm ever intimidated by talking to guests. And it's really only musicians. Because I think. Really? Really, because you all have a magic I don't understand. What, it, what is the magic trick to you? Well, it's, uh, you're there to manifest something. You're there to, I mean, before you go in, it's just, it's an empty space. It's an empty building. So the audience is going to come, and you're going to show up, and together you're going to manifest something that's very, very real, that's very tangible, but you're going to pull it out of thin air. It wasn't there before, before you showed up. It didn't, it didn't exist. And it's, it's real magic, you know, and, uh, that's a little bit of what my, my job is every night. My job is to come out there and assist you and for us together to create, create this sense of uh, whatever you want to call it. You know, it is cathartic, and hopefully on a good night when we're at our very, very best, there's a little, a little transcendence and... Uh, uh, Transubstantiation? <laughs> I'm not sure what that means, but it might be... Uh, that means that you are a terrible <laughs> altar boy. <laughs> No, I got it. That's when, 
One thing becomes another. One thing becomes another. Like, you know, you and the audience become another thing. So we do become a bit of another thing, you know? What do you ever know? How do you know you've turned the trick? It's in the air. It's, it's always in the air at night when you, uh, there's a moment when you sort of, you get lost in it and you can see grown men in tears and uh, <laughs> not really, but. Uh, <laughs> is there, but, when you feel it coming, is there a song you go, okay, I'm calling on this song. We're going to play this song now because that, that'll push us over the edge. Sometimes it does, but it, does, it doesn't necessarily. Every night, the funny thing about a concert is, it's, it's never repetitive. You can play the same exact show two nights in a row. It's still not a repetitive experience. It's a bit like having, if you could have your first kiss on a nightly basis, for some reason, the show provides that sense of newness uh, really regularly, you know, very regularly. It's a very, very unusual, it's an experience that if you had it once, you would, it, would, it, it could alter you and you'd remember it your whole life. So to be fortunate enough to have it, you know, we go out three, four nights a week. We see all, we travel the world in front of all different audiences. But the trick is you have to manifest that sense, a sense of us, you know, a sense of uh, uh, what's gonna, what goes on between you and your audience. You know, that's, that's, that's well, a big part of it. Um, we could take another break, but uh, don't go away. We'll be right back with more Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> Hey there, Jordan Klepper from The Daily Show and Comedy Central. Ever wonder what happens behind the scenes or want to catch some extended interviews? Well, now you can. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast for full episodes, extended content, and a whole lot more. The Daily Show Ears Edition is available wherever you get your podcasts. We're here with Bruce Springsteen. He's got a new book, uh, Memories of His Life, called Born to Run. And um, now you just played, uh, you're 67 years old. Yes, I am. And you just played, <laughs> you just played. Oh, it's my birthday tomorrow. That's right, that's right. Tomorrow. You just played your longest U.S. show ever uh, in Philly this, in this month, September. Four hours, three minutes, and 46 seconds. <laughs> Why do you do such long shows? <laughs> I don't know. Why do you do such long shows? Uh, and you go in thinking like, yeah, yeah, this one's going to be a long one, no. or no? No. You waiting to, for the magic trick? I always, I always think it's going to be a good deal shorter because now the band doesn't complain. <laughs> except to you. Around, around three hours and 40 minutes. <laughs> it's that last 20 minutes that for some reason even gets the E Street Band <laughs> slightly, someone may mention it to me, you know? <laughs> but, During the show or after no, the show? No, after the show. After the but show. why they go that long, you know, uh, I'm not exactly sure. I've been doing it for I've, a long time. But, I've uh, seen you up there. You get pretty sweaty. I do. And uh, <laughs> how much talcum powder do you go through? <laughs> because those are pretty tight jeans for a man your age. <laughs> There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of chafing that does go on, so, so I'm well, I'm shoveling it in there after the show. Well, you, you you said in the book that you call performing the only language I've ever known to fight off the night terrors. Yeah, well, it, 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 I, I originally used it. It was medicinal, you know. I was this incredibly neurotic young kid and uh, had a lot of anxiety, which I didn't know how to chase away, you know. So all I found out was after I played. 
I calm, I calmed down, and I felt very centered. And uh, it was really the first thing I did to kind of medicate myself, you know. And uh, that may explain why it goes on so long, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was an easy drug to take, but it still, uh, it still affects me like that. I mean, the, the night just, the night has its own life. And I mean, I come, I'm coming out, so I know I'm going to play. We're going to play two and a half hours. We're going to play three hours. I know that's going to happen, but I don't know what's going to happen after that. And uh, the night, it's, it's something that's organic, and it defines its, its own time and space. And, and once I get to a certain point, I, I, I'm, I'm not thinking about the time. You know, I'm here, to, I'm here to take you out of time. I'm here to transport you someplace else. I'm here to alter time and space and play with it myself and help you move in and out of, uh, uh, you know, m move in and out of things on, on any given evening, you know. So it, it's, it's, the time thing is just something that happens, you know. If, I, if it was my own preference, I would prefer not to play four hours. <laughs> uh, but that's what happens. Well, it, you, you're saying you're fighting off the night terrors. What, what, are, what are the night terrors? And have you had them your entire life? Are those literal night terrors? Like, if you didn't play, they would come to you? Uh, well, if I don't play regularly, I'm inside my head a lot. And I'm not, I realize I'm not my own best company, you know? <laughs> so... Uh, uh, I've kind of had to deal with that my whole life a little bit. And, you're you're uh, opening here about having um, uh, depression yeah. as an adult, and your father dealt with the same thing. Yeah, my father was, had, had, was, was very ill with it, you know, and it, there was a lot of real illness in my family, in my family with it. It really shot through the Irish side of the family. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then, you know, I, I caught some of it, and so, uh, you know, occasionally it comes up, but it's... it's you know, it, it, I, I've, I've had my, my, my tussles with it, but uh, not like my, my, my dad had it very seriously, and, and so did some of our other family members. You talk about your relationship with your dad and the book, and it was a complicated relationship, um, and not always a happy one, but you, have, you describe a beautiful moment of, uh, of uh, well, some, something like redemption between you and your father <laughs> yeah. the, the day before your first child was born. Oh, tell, wow. tell, if you wouldn't mind telling, sharing the story <laughs> of, of the conversation you and your father had. Um, well, my dad was very manic, so he would take these long, long, driving, long driving trips. And he showed up at my house one day, and, and it was uh, just to say hello, he said. You know, it, it was a 500-mile trip to say hi. <laughs> and uh, uh, he came in. It must have been something about me being on the cusp of being a, a father that... Uh, we sat down, and we had a couple of beers, and it was like a Sunday morning or something, and he said, yeah, yeah I, was, I was a little rough on you, you know? And uh, I remember saying, yeah, I know, but he did the best he could, and, and it was a very small moment, but it was, uh, it was sort of a, a moment where it was all I needed to hear, and, and plus I had much, much greater insight into my father's life as I got older, and it, it was very, very difficult. My father was a, it was a, Really, inside he was a sweethearted and, and, and loving man, but he really struggled seriously with, uh, with, with some illness. And so it, it took me, I had to get pretty old before I understood stood him and understood where some of the troubles we had came from, you know. So, uh, and we, you know, it was, uh, initially we didn't communicate very well, so 
I started to write, I wrote my songs. I wrote songs about them. And I'd bring the record over, wouldn't hear anything back. I'd write another song about them, bring the record over. I know my mother had it on, so <laughs> didn't hear anything about it. And finally one day, and he was literally, he was in bed and he was, he was close to his death. And I said, Dad, you know, I said, Dad, you know, we were talking and I said, well, what are your favorite songs? What are your favorite songs? It's the ones about me. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so it was a nice thing. Well, the next day you became a dad yourself. Yeah. Did yeah. that? How, how did that change you? you? You talk about everything else goes away. You're in the, in the book. You have a beautiful. There's a beautiful chapter of the the birth of your first child and saying that uh, all your self-protection, yeah. all your secrets, yeah. all your worries uh, about yourself go out the window instantly when you hold your child. Did that then, did that change your work? Did that change what you wanted to create? Um, yeah, it was, it, was a, it, was a, it was a funny evening. I mean, first I was just concerned if Patty was gonna have any pain, you know? <laughs> so she I was- She thought maybe she'd be the only woman who did <laughs> <laughs> so I was very, but you know, once the once once the baby came along, you know, it was just everything stopped, and and uh, all your defensive mechanisms, all the things you do to protect yourself every day, all your all the dances you do, suddenly just they're halted, you know. And you want to run out into the street and say, "People, stop shopping, <laughs> stop, get off your cell phones." Uh, stop watching television, you know, a messiah has come. <laughs> you know, that's how you feel about your kids, you know. Here in Babylon, Los Angeles, <laughs> a new son of New Jersey has been born. So it's a... Uh... <laughs> well, uh, we, we've got to take another commercial break, and this was only supposed to be uh, three acts, but um, I'd love to ask you a few more questions if yeah, you can stick around. Yeah, guys. <laughs> John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcasts. We're here with Bruce Springsteen talking about his new book, Born to Run. Uh, now, a couple of quick questions here. This one comes from an anonymous member of your band who sent it in to us. <laughs> I've heard from people who work with you that you will occasionally spontaneously call out a song the band has never played together before. How does that happen, and what do you say to your band uh, as they're trying to learn a song they've never played before, 10 seconds uh, before 50,000 people while you're counting them uh, in? <laughs> well, first of all, all <clears throat> the entire band are bar band veterans. So they've played hundreds of nights before we ever stood out in front of an, an audience after we had a record deal. So we, there's a common well that we all draw from. I mean, if somebody says, play Wild Thing, 
you'll be fired from the E Street Band if you don't know how to play that. <laughs> you know? All right. So everybody's, so, you know, so it's, it's, and there is a secret. There is a little man under the stage. <laughs> and he has a teleprompter. So if, if I get a sign that says, okay, we're going to play Friday on my mind. We're going to play Katy Perry's Teenage Dream, right? Whatever we're going to play, <laughs> you know? He, within seconds, has the lyrics up in front of you, you know? So he's... Uh, okay, follow-up question. Okay. Uh, your top five <laughs> Bruce songs. That's tough, you know? See, that's, that's a tough one. Uh, five out of about 300. Let's go. Five. Uh, I'd have to put Born to Run up there. You know? um, uh, I guess for me, uh, The Rising was a big song. Um, um, well, what do we play every night? We play Thunder Road really regularly. Uh, but Nebraska was a good, that was a, that was a good one. Um, I'm trying to skip it. What are we? What are we? All right, I'll go, I'll go. Badlands, you play every concert, right? All right. Well... <laughs> all right. It's these, your life, Bruce. These, it's your life. These, are, these, these folks are all planted now, but... Uh, uh, maybe you can put Jungle Land. Racing in the Street, that was easy. <laughs> all right. All right. These are everybody's top five, by the way. Um, all right. Uh, now, uh, on the companion album, there's one thing I want to point out here. On the companion album here, which again is called Chapter and Verse, um, it's got a couple of dozen great songs on here. One of them is called Henry Boy. Okay. <laughs> now, Henry Boy's got an interesting story about this theater as well, which I'll get to in just a second. But how did Henry Boy come about? I, I have no recollection of, uh, of writing it or recording it, actually. But. Uh... I believe it was on the John Hammond demo tape that yes. was the first thing I cut mm -hmm. at CBS when I was still auditioning for my record deal. With Columbia Records? At Columbia Records. Okay, so Records. John Hammond sent you to a studio to actually record some songs. And he produced it. And he produced yeah, it. He produced the demo there was session. an 18-year-old uh, mixer at that session, okay, and that is Harvey Goldberg. And uh, he is the mixer a... for this show. Is this, a, this is your life. This one? is your life. <laughs> He's right below us. He's below this stage right now. Can we, Jim, go go? There's Harvey. <laughs> Hello, Stephen. Hello, Bruce. Hey, Harvey. Anything you want to say to Bruce? Uh, you know, I always wondered what happened to you after the demo, and I'm really <laughs> glad that you wrote a book about it, so that now I can see what went on. Good luck with the book. <laughs> Thank you. All right. By the way, we found out, we found out uh, from the historian of this building that Elvis performed right around here. They said That's this incredible. is the spot right around where Elvis would have performed. So you made it. <laughs> All right, well, the book, Bruce, the book is uh, Born to Run. Um, uh, it's, it's about uh, your childhood to the present. What's the future hold for you? What's the next chapter? Same old thing. Yeah? You, know? <laughs> you could probably be governor of New Jersey if you wanted. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> and, uh, I, think, I think I'll pass on Okay. That. Well, tonight <laughs> is your birthday. 
It is. Today is your birthday. <laughs> and so, we got you a little something. We just got a small little something. Really? This is the, a copy of the original schematic of the Ed Sullivan oh. Theater. Since this building made a difference in your life. And uh, let's all wish Bruce a happy birthday, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter and verse is out now. Born to Run is available on September 27th. Bruce Springsteen, everybody. <laughs> This has been The Late Show Poncho with Stephen Colbert. We'll be dropping classic bits and celebrity interviews seven days a week while the show's away on summer break. The Late Show will be back on September 6th with all new episodes. If you're enjoying The Late Show Poncho, leave us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. For more exclusive Late Show content, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to The Late Show on YouTube. CBS Sunday, after The Equalizer. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. It's the season finale. Everyone's looking for something. Of Tracker. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker, CBS season finale Sunday after The Equalizer on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Late Show Poncho listeners can get 20% off on all Late Show with Stephen Colbert merchandise on ParamountShop.com. That's 20% off at checkout on all Late Show shirts, mugs, accessories, and more with code TLS20 at ParamountShop.com.